The reading this morning is from Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in <coughs> secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap upon empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. seated. Let's pray. Father, we uh, bless you this morning. We are here to praise and glorify you, to, uh, to ascribe to you all the praise and glory and honor that um, are yours and yours only. And uh, God, I just pray uh, this morning, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would empower me, um, that you would Prepare each of our hearts for um, your word this morning. As we've been singing your word, God, now the proclamation of the word, I pray that you would change us um, from the inside out. God, that you would uh, convict us of sin and righteousness, that we would uh, be encouraged uh, by the love of God that endures forever. And so have your way with us here this morning. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. Well, this morning we get to uh, start a new sermon series called, what is it called? When You Pray. When You Pray. It's, um, it's four weeks. We'll be preaching the next four weeks from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through, uh, verses 5 through 18, I think. And um, um, excited about it. It's the reason that we chose to do this is that uh, prayer is such an important part of our relationship with the Father. And, um, and there's all kinds of misunderstanding on prayer, what the purpose of prayer is. And um, I'm just thinking of like crying out to God right now. Just crying out. Love it. And just P.S., I know the families that are part of this church know this, but we love kids. We love crying kids. We love whining kids. We love noisy kids. God, we are God's kids, that's why we're here this morning, is to, because he's our good father. And uh, so we're going to be preaching the next four weeks um, from this, this passage, uh, these verses, this section of scripture in Matthew 6, and then we're going to actually end um, with a uh, service in the park um, on the fifth Sunday, where we're going to pray together and, and just praise God and eat, it's going to be a good time. But maybe, you, maybe you're like me, where you have prayed some of the following prayers, at one point in time. Dear Lord, help me to relax about insignificant details beginning tomorrow at 741 Mountain Standard Time. <laughs> Dear Lord, help me consider people's feelings, even if most of them are hypersensitive. Help me to take responsibility for the consequences of my actions, even though they're usually not my fault. Help me to not try and run everything, but if you need something, please feel free to ask me. 
Dear Lord, help me be more laid back and help me do it exactly right. Dear Lord, give me patience, I mean right now. Help me not to be a perfectionist. Did I spell that correctly? Help me to keep my mind on one thing. Oh, my goodness. One, one thing at a time. Help me do only what I can and trust you for the rest. And would you mind putting that in writing? Keep me open to others' ideas, misguided as they may be. Help me slow down and trust you in everything. Let me pray again. God, I thank you for um, just the opportunity to, um, to engage you and in your word on, on this topic of prayer. So God, have your way with us this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My experience with prayer, I've been praying. I went to a parochial school where we went to church twice a week during the week, Monday through Friday. We went once on Sundays. We were always encouraged to prayer. My experience with prayer, even recently, even as a, as a um, beloved son of the God Most High, as a pastor, is that my experience is my prayer can be rote at times. I, my praying can be distracted. Um, I can be caught up in asking for um, temporal things to meet my needs, especially when I'm in crisis. How about you? Where are you at with prayer? What is the purpose of prayer? How often do you pray? pray? I don't think we talk about it enough. It's just assumed that if you're a Christian, you know what the purpose is and, and when to do it and how to do it and why to do it. How is your prayer life? Today we're going to look at verses 5 through 8 that Elaine just read. We're going to come face to face with the primary purpose of prayer. The primary purpose of prayer. But first we need to start by answering the question, what is prayer? I know it sounds basic, but what is prayer? Prayer is at its simplest form, a conversation with God. It's a, it's a conversation with God. It's speaking to Him. The, the New City Catechism defines prayer as this, though. It's a pouring out of our hearts to God in praise, in petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. It's the pouring out of our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. In today's passage, Jesus directs His disciples to pray. In fact, three times in, in four short verses, Jesus repeats the words, when you pray. When you pray. Not if you pray or when you get time to pray or when you learn to pray, it's when you pray. We can therefore assume that prayer is something that is to be practiced by all Christians. The Bible gives us the expectation to pray. Paul says in Colossians 4.2 that we're to devote ourselves to prayer. Martin Luther said, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. So prayer in its simplest form is speaking to God, and it is expected from every Christian. I don't know about you, but that doesn't, commands don't always motivate me like they should. 
The way God's wired me is I always want need to know and want to know the why behind the what. And you know what? God will never command us to do anything unless there, he has given us a why behind the what. And it's always for his glory. Commands are always for his glory and for our benefit. Another observation from today's text is the phrase, your father. Three times, your father is mentioned in these four verses. We see all throughout Scripture that Jesus refers to God as the Father. We see in the high priestly prayer in, in uh, John chapter 17 that Jesus refers to the Father six times as the Father, to God six times as the Father. Jesus had that right, did he not? He was God's Son by nature, the second person of the eternal Godhead. By contrast, you and I are creatures. We are His creation. By what right then may we call God Father? Four times, excuse me, three times in these four verses, we're instructed to pray, Our Father, Your Father. So what right do we have to address God the Father, the, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, as our Father? And the other question is, is, is all of humanity able to say, to call God Father? Is all of humanity, whether they profess faith in Jesus Christ or not, can they refer to God as Father? Are they able to call themselves sons and daughters of the living God? Let me submit to you that prayer is for Christians only. Only those who look to Jesus as mediator and sin bearer and go to God through Jesus have any right or have the right to call God Father. And if Jesus has bore your sin on the cross, if you have professed faith in Christ alone, and you are saved by grace alone, that God, you have the right to call God the Father. George Grant had this quote, prayer as the unconscious heart cry in times of distress is the currency of all humanity. Just think about Facebook. Think about people you know that have not put their faith and trust in Jesus, that, that they've told you that. You haven't judged their heart, but you know because they worship another God, but they ask for prayers. That everybody, every, all of humanity asks for prayer. George Grant says that prayer is the unconscious heart cry in times of distress, and it's the currency of all humanity. But prayer, he goes on to say, as the deep and committed soul bond in communion with the Almighty God is an exceptionally rare and precious jewel, and it belongs only to His children that have been bought by His shed blood. Here's a couple of implications of God's gracious fatherhood that pertains to prayer. First is, we're adopted. That we have been adopted into His family. If you know Jesus Christ, you have been adopted. And as God's adopted children, we are loved no less than His natural Son, Jesus Christ. You are loved no less. In Romans 8, 38 through 39, speaks to that. Paul says, for I am sure that neither life nor death nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. There's nothing in creation. There's nothing in the created order, including Satan, that will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see that we can call God the Father because we are united with Christ. That if you know Jesus, you have died with Christ, you have been buried with Christ, and you have been raised with Christ. And therefore, He calls you, the Father calls you beloved son and daughter, and you can call Him Father, Abba Father. Another implication of the adoption is that our Father actually gives us more than we deserve and more than we desire. It says in Matthew chapter 7 that the Father gives good gifts to His children. That He wants to give good gifts. The second implication after, of, of, of God's gracious fatherhood after the fact that we're adopted is that we now have God's Spirit in us. That God's children have have His Spirit in us. It's, it's His DNA, if you will, that we have been regenerated. We have been born again. We now have a new nature. We now have new desires. I think about adopted children that were adopted as infants and they grew up in that home. They, they look like and they talk like and they got common desires as their mom and dad that were not even biological mothers and fathers. But there's something supernatural that happens at our adoption that we become regenerated, we become born again, and we have God's Spirit in us. Galatians 4, 6 through 7 says this, And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts saying, Abba, Father. Daddy, Papa, Father. So you are no longer a slave. You are a son. You are a daughter. And if a son, then you are an heir. That you are an heir. And that's the third implication of God's gracious fatherhood is that we are his heirs. We possess every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that is, that is good that has been withheld from us. And we, we will possess everything one day in, in eternity. I was just thinking about a, um, a rich father and mother who... Um, who have children that are theirs, maybe they're adopted, maybe they're biological, but they are heirs of mom and dad's fortune. There are some things that they get to enjoy now, like the name, the identity, the, the, the temporary blessings, but some of it's been put in a trust, a charitable remainder trust, if you will, that we will get to take advantage of one day when we're in heaven. That we will receive everything. That we will receive the gift of no more sin. We'll receive the gift of no more suffering. We are heirs to that. No more suffering. No more pain. No more death. No more sin. So prayer then is, is both an a, a, um, expectation and it's a privilege. It's not only a divine summons or command, but it's also more importantly a royal invitation because you are royalty, that we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hebrews 4.16 says this, let us then with confidence, because we are children, because he is our father, let us then with confidence or with boldness 
draw near to the throne of grace. And I've heard this just recently where I've heard this taken out of context where it says we can confidently become before the Father and know that he's going to give us what we ask if we just come with confidence and boldness. That's not what that means. It means because we are heirs, because we are sons and daughters, because of Jesus' shed blood that has bought us, we can confidently, we can boldly come before the throne of grace. Listen to the rest of this passage. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Anytime the King of kings and Lord of lords is waiting, is beckoning, is inviting you to come and sit at his feet, confess your sins, express thanksgiving, petition him as the Spirit leads. As I mentioned earlier, all commands, even the command to pray, are for our good and for the glory of God. So we should certainly pray because it's an obligation and a command. But more importantly, we have the great opportunity of sitting before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to receive mercy and grace in time of need. Let's look at verses 5 through 6. Matthew 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. First, instruction is a negative one. We're not to pray like the hypocrites. To pray like a hypocrite is to play act or to pray act in order to be seen by others. And the emphasis here is to be seen by others. That the hypocrites are praying so that others can see them. The posture of standing in pray, prayer is not the problem here. You can kneel, you can stand, you can sit, you can recline, you can have your eyes open, you can have your eyes closed, you can be in the mountains, you can be in here, you can be in the bathroom, you can be anywhere to pray. However, however you're going about it, we can't complicate the act itself by ignoring the simplicity that all of it is talking to God. So, so he talks about the, the posture of standing in prayer. That, that That's not the problem. It's being seen by others that's the, that's the problem. Also, the place of prayer is not the problem. Praying in the synagogue, praying on the streets is not the issue. He's speaking against the goal of being seen by others. One's internal motives uh, is, his, is Jesus' central concern. So the problem is neither posture nor place but heart. You see, these hypocrites were praying to receive approval and the applause of people, which was their reward. Jesus said they have received their reward. And their reward was to be seen, or their act was to be seen. Their reward was to be applauded, to be seen, to be esteemed. And I think just a caution for me anyways, maybe for all of us, is is to examine what is my motive in prayer with my family, with my community group. It shouldn't to be, have just, as we're going to talk about here in a little bit, to have prayers that are um, instructive to other people. My prayers are to the Lord, not to be seen or heard by others, even though I might be with others. One of the earliest commentaries on this section of Scripture says, what matters is not the place, 
but the manner and the aim. In contrast to verse 5, Jesus says in verse 6, but, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Does this mean that, that every time you pray, you've got to go? I think there was a movie out that was something about a prayer closet or something, and you had to sit in a closet and pray, or they did. And it was cool. I mean, there was some neat stuff that came out of that movie. But you don't have to have a prayer closet um, physically. Just as Jesus was not condemning the Jews for their place of prayer, he is also not so much prescribing an approved place to pray. He's addressing the purpose of prayer here. The reward of prayer is communion, is communing and speaking with our Heavenly Father. That's the reward. Prayer is not a magic formula to get something from God. The prize or the reward is prayer itself. The prize or the reward is prayer itself. It's communion with God. Brothers and sisters, we're made for communion. We're made for relationship. We're made to pray. It's the most natural activity we will ever engage in. And I'm not saying that public prayer is, actually. I know it's hard for some of us to pray when other people are there, but it's a natural, it's a, it's, it's a natural thing to do. That we were reconciled, that Jesus came so we would be reconciled to the Father. Reconciled means to be brought back into a right relationship. And relationships involve prayer, involve conversation. Many of us have been taught to measure our prayers by how much they accomplish rather than to strengthen our relationship with God. And I, want to just, I just want to uh, just, just pause for a second here because there is a, uh, a, a theological phrase called, if I can think of it here for a second, um, I can't think, I'll think of it in a minute, but it, but it means that, that, that God somehow takes our actions and combines it with His providence and things happen. I know we can't change His mind, He's sovereign, He's providential, it's called providential concurment, that somehow in His providence, His actions Dan, you, you knew that, didn't you? You didn't know it? That, that, that somehow in his providence that he works alongside or with our actions or with our prayers. But the focus of today is relationship. The primary purpose of prayer is not to move God. It's to relate with or commune with God. It's actually for, more for us than it is for him. The, the goal of prayer is not to be taken on with a goal of success. The goal should be to give ourselves away and to receive the gift of communion with God. The goal of prayer is not to be taken on with a, with a goal of success. The goal should be to give ourselves away. Most of us pray when our backs are against the wall. When circumstances are such that in our desperation we cry out to God for help. And we should do that. God wants to hear that. David prayed that all the time. That God is truly an ever-present help in time of trouble. That we're to cry out to Him in times of need. That's relationship. But we all have the tendency when things are good, no crisis, 
no big decisions to make, to revert back to independence or self-dependence. You see, prayer demonstrates, like nothing else, our dependence upon God. Prayer is truly our declaration of dependence. You see, Christians don't have a declaration of independence. We live in a country that does, and we obey that at some level. But our dependence is upon the Lord. We have a declaration of dependence. Many people also are misinformed that the sole purpose of prayer is supplication, praying for other people's needs and praying for our own needs. Prayer is not merely a means of presenting our requests. It's a means of pursuing a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord was rebuking people that were just praying, praying, praying for their needs without any context of relationship. It says, the the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. May that never be of us. May the primary purpose of our prayer be worship and communion and relationship. The Bible teaches that prayer is not merely a way to get things from God, but a way to receive more of God himself. I've talked about Johnny Erickson Tata before. She's a a woman that has just really uh, marked my life. I think I even posted something on Facebook the other day, first time I posted in months, and it was in regards to Johnny. And Johnny Erickson Tata, 50 years ago now, snapped her neck as a teenager and has been a quadriplegic for 50 years. She said this 30, uh, 20 years ago when she was after she was a paraplegic for 30 years. She became a quadriplegic as a result of a diving accident. Stuck in the geriatric ward of the state institution in Maryland, she would listen for hours as her friends read her stories from the scriptures. Good friends, huh? That's what we need is scriptures when we're down. Amen to that. One of her favorites was the story of a man who had been, who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus encountered him lying by the pool of Bethesda and healed him. And God is certainly capable, capable of healing today, is he not? As a result of the story, Johnny began picturing herself lying on a straw mat by the pool of Bethesda. For hours on end, she pleaded with God for miraculous healing. It seemed in those days that God did not reward her prayer with a response, nor as he 50 years into this of being a paraplegic. 30 years later, however, she received a revelation of sorts during a trip to Jerusalem, which is where the pool of Bethesda was. She was with her husband, Ken. He pushed her wheelchair down the steps of the Via, Via Della Rosa, made a left turn at, at, turn at the Sheep's Gate, walked by St. Anne's Church, and ra- ran straight into the pool of Bethesda. While resting her arms on the guardrail overlooking those now dry, dusty ruins, Johnny's mind flashed back to those 30 years earlier that she had pictured herself lying on a mat at this very place. Suddenly, like a thunderbolt across a clear blue sky, she was struck by the realization that God had not given her the response she was looking for. You ever had that happen? 
that you begged God to heal somebody, to fix some kind of brokenness, physical, relational. He had not given her the response she was looking for. He had given her a far better one. Overwhelmed with emotion, she began to thank him for not healing her. God had miraculously turned her wheelchair into her secret place. That day, Johnny could have cried out, Oh, wheelchair, I bless you. For it was in the prison of her wheelchair that she learned the secret of secret prayer. Unable to run here and there with perfectly formed limbs, she spent hours practicing the principles of prayer. And as her life grew ever richer and deeper, she was enabled to bless multitudes out of the overflow of a life spent in the secret place. It was in her secret place that she discovered there were more important things than walking. And as she grew in, grew in intimacy with her creator, she learned to bless the cross, the wheelchair, that crafted her character. You see, what Johnny knows is what I want to know. I want that relationship with the Father that I can cry out to Him and express my needs. But I want to rest in a relationship with Him, in intimacy with Him, whether He changes my circumstances or not. That's what prayer is. At times, there's the bonus where He changes our circumstances. But He just wants to hear from us. He wants us to rest in Him. Jesus often withdrew to secret places, to lonely places and prayed. You and I, praise be to God right now, are not in a wheelchair. But nonetheless, we should still find our secret place. Because there's many distractions in life. We need to find that place to reduce distractions and to engage in rich communion with our Heavenly Father. Yes, we're to pray continuously, but we need the secret place. I'm like, I'm like the, the, the movie Up that I think Jason talked about a few weeks ago. I'm, I try to go to Starbucks to have my like, quiet time. Well, duh. Um, even, even like yesterday, I think I said this last week too, you guys are going to think I'm a complete, complete nutcase. I'm preparing for the sermon yesterday. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I've got the Rockies game saved. I've got the CrossFit game saved. I'm reading about prayer and not being distracted while I'm going, okay, wow, what's going on in the Masters Division of CrossFit? Oh, the Rockies are ahead. It's like, I need a secret place. And we've got to know ourselves. One of the secret places that I have found over the years has been the mountains. It's just getting away for a couple of hours and just going and walking where there's no cell phone. There's nobody else to talk to. My mind starts wandering about mountain lions and stuff like that, but then I just... Uh, the other recently for me, I think I've said this, has been the cemetery. The cemetery has been a, a secret place for me like none other, actually. It's surprising to me where I actually go and I, I read God's Word. I just sit on somebody's tombstone, hope it's okay. Left a, a watermark from my Starbucks cup on one the other day. I, it's not that funny. I tried to get it off. 
but there's just something about being there and, and having a reminder of both life and death that has allowed me to just commune with God in ways that I haven't experienced in a long, long time. For some of you moms that are in the middle of the night nursing, like how do you ever get any rest? I'm looking at my, my daughter and my daughter-in-law that are just, just busy. Your secret place might be that kid waking up at 3 in the morning. And while you're sitting there nursing is to, is to commune with God in that quiet sucking space. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I just had a this. Okay, yeah, you go. But, but God um, provides us opportunities to be in those quiet places. Let's look at verses 7 through 8. Jesus moves from the place and posture of prayer to emphasize relationship further. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases or vain repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Prayer is about relationship, and all healthy relationships involve what? Communication. All healthy relationships involve communication and conversation, simple conversations, not empty conversations, not, not uh, empty phrases or vain repetitions. In fact, Jesus prohibits mindless repetition, not earnest repetition that flows from a worshiping heart, but mindless repetition. You see, the Gentiles that he's talking about here worshiped false gods and they would heap up empty phrases, or as the NIV says, vain repetitions, thinking that a multitude of repeated words over and over again would accomplish something from their gods. So they would repeat the name of their god, gods over and over again without thinking, just mindless repetition. It's important to note that Jesus is not condemning long prayers. And he's not condemning all repetition either. For he prayed all night in Luke 6, 12. He prayed all night uh, in, in, in Gethsemane. And also in that same night, he repeated his prayer, asking the Father to remove the cup from him. He repeated it. It was a relationship with the Father that Jesus knew that he was here to drink the cup, to empty himself out. But he said, Father, if, if there's any other way, remove this cup from me, but not my will be done, but yours. He repeated that phrase because it was, it was earnest repetition. It was in the context of relationship. It wasn't mindless words. That, that prayer is not repeating, is getting up and just repeating that um, that Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior, it's, it's not saying the same, it's, it's relationship, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. I need you, I thank you, I praise you. Having grown up Roman Catholic, I witnessed the ritual of praying the rosary, which, by the way, came to Catholicism from Buddhism, by the way of Spanish Muslims during the Middle Ages. Do you know that? I witnessed the ritual of many praying the rosary with devotion and sincerity, but with the quickness and repetition that, that eclipsed my brainwaves. I just couldn't keep up. That's why I really never prayed the rosary. One month out of the year, these devout Catholics would pray the rosary every day. 
And this is no small task as it consists of 53 Hail Marys. Every day, 53 Hail Marys. I still remember that prayer. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. But blood, I don't even know the rest of it from there. But, but I know the beginning part of it. 50, 50, how many? 53 of those, and then six Our Fathers and six Glory Bees. I remember people praying these prayers. I remember coming out of the confessional booth, um, telling the Father that I couldn't see behind the screen to bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been six weeks since my last confession. And he'll say, well, tell me what, what you've done. I said, well, I didn't make my bed when I was supposed to. didn't do that. And they, then he would assign me, okay, you could go do four Hail Marys and three Our Fathers and two Glory Bees. And I'd go out there, I'd kneel down, I'd pray them, and I was good to go. That is mindless repetition. I didn't even know what I was praying. I'm, the Lord's Prayer is one of the prayers I was told to pray. It's an awesome prayer. Pat's going to be teaching on it next week. But I would just pray it, pray it, pray it, mindless repetition. It was out of the context of relationship. Timothy Keller says, The power of our prayers, then, lies not primarily in our effort and striving or in any kind of technique, but rather in the knowledge of God. The power of our prayers lies in the knowledge of God. Not how long we pray, not on how passionate we pray, not on how often we pray, but in the, in the, in the context of the knowledge of God. And it's the same for any healthy, grown relationship, is it not? The secret to a successful marriage is time spent with your spouse and in communication with her. Now, if you're struggling in your marriage in any way, go find a secret place. And communicate. Hang out. No distractions. No kiddos. No TV. No internet. The secret of raising kids is both quantity and quality of time spent. The secret to a thriving relationship with our good father is communication. Not simply saying words over and over again that are rote and mindless. Talk to him. Express your fears. Be honest with him. Verse 8. Jesus says, don't be like these babbling Gentiles. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And this should, this should raise a major question. It does in my heart every time I read it. If he knows what, what I'm going to ask before I ask him, why ask? If he knows the things I, I need before I ask him, why ask him? You know, there were many times when our children were younger where I just knew what they were going to ask me. I knew based on where they were coming from. I knew based on their personality. I knew, we've got our grandkids. They came over yesterday morning. We got them until tomorrow. I mean, I'm already like an expert on them. I mean, I know what they're, I know what they're whining about. I know what they need. I can finish their sentences because I've been around them. We, we know them so, in, so intimately. But that didn't mean I didn't want them to ask. I didn't want them to talk to me. I wanted the relationship. I wanted the relationship with them. I longed for them to verbalize their thoughts and feelings. And likewise, if we're to nurture a, a strong bond with our Creator, we must communicate with Him. And prayer is the primary way we do that. And there's so much I've learned from so many of you, actually, that are have what I feel is a deeper relationship through prayer with our triune God than I do, and I've learned so much from you. 
So I know I'm speaking to the choir in many cases. God will either give us what we ask for or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. God's not going to give us anything that is against his will. Prayer isn't magic. Prayer in practice is simply talking to God. We don't need to make it more complicated than that. It's simply and profoundly an act by we, which we say, here I am. Here I am, God, in response to God's calling our name. We peek up from behind the bushes, all of Adam and Eve, in response to God's, where are you? Here I am. Speak to me. Here I am. I want to speak to you. And I want to encourage you here that one way to kill your prayer life is to overthink it. My prayer is that, I, that I've not caused any confusion this morning. Like, well, uh, that, that tomorrow you go to your secret place, wherever that ends up being for you, and, and you're like stumbling over your words. And I mean, even if, if you stumble over your words, God knows it's relationship. I stumble over my words to my wife all the time. She still loves me. It's not about words of perfection. It's about a direction of our relationship. The best friendships that you and I have are with people we can feel we can be ourselves with. Are they not? That we don't have to worry about, man, did I say the right thing or not? We can just be ourselves. We, we feel most easily at home with the friends we don't feel self-conscious around. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't plan your prayer time. You probably should. It just means that most vibrant prayer life is found in the one who is most willing to bring his whole or her whole self to God. I love it when we have extra time. For those of you new, new with us today, on the uh, first Sunday of the month, we go for three hours. So I'm glad you guys were here with us today. It's great. I think I've said this before, but the greeters will be coming around with coffee. Gwen, coffee? Let me give you a final encouragement. There's an element in any relationship that the more we do it, the tighter the relationship's going to be. And we need to practice like one of the things with my wife, we've done date nights ever since I can remember. And that's practice and intimacy. It's getting to know her. And I want to encourage you to practice prayer. Practice prayer. Andrew Murray says this. Reading a book about prayer or listening to sermons on prayer is very good. But it won't teach you to pray. You get nothing without exercise, without practice, without time spent. You might listen for a year to a professor of music playing the most beautiful of music, but that won't teach you to play an instrument. Pick it up. Pick it up and play it. Practice it. Number two, find a secret spot. Yes, pray without ceasing. Yes, pray at your desk, but find a secret spot. And it could be a simple discipline for, for you all that go to the office and you're, you are there at the office from 8 to 5 and there's like no break at all. 
your secret place could be simply um, once or twice a day. I don't, even, I don't even want to put words in your mouth, but it could be turning the computer off, going somewhere quiet for 10 minutes. The world will keep spinning with your phone off. The world will keep spinning with if you're not um, answering every text and email as it comes in. Find a secret place. Not because you have to, but because he wants that relationship with you in a deeper, more intimate way. So find a secret spot. Three is, after practice prayer, find a secret spot. Pray according to God's will. How do you know? I don't know what God's will is. The psalmist tells us this, and we, we, we read the second half of 37 verse 4 all the time, that God will give you the desires of your heart, and I believe he will. When we take the first part of that verse in mind, that delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And delighting is like what, jo- what John says in, um, in chapter 15, it's abiding. The more time we spend with him, the more time we spend um, um, learning about him, the more time that we commune with him, the more that our will and our desires get lined up so that when I pray, I'm praying for his will. Remember asking a friend that, that his wife had cancer, that, that he was praying, praying, praying for her healing. And she kept getting worse. And I asked, how are you now praying? He says, my prayers have changed because I'm resolved that God isn't going to heal her. And I'm praying that God would prepare her for eternity and that she would be a bold witness. So he was abiding with the Lord. He was delighting himself in the Lord. And his prayers were starting to be conformed to the will of God. So after practicing prayer, finding a secret spot, praying according to God's will, let the scriptures guide you. Let the scriptures guide you. What I've found recently when I go to the cemetery, that even if I go to the cemetery without opening the word, I get distracted. But if I can just, if I can just read a small section of scripture, and I would just tell you that, that reading through the Bible is a good discipline. But don't make that your secret place. Read smaller chunks of Scripture and then chew on them. The Bible calls it meditate on them. And then let that direct your prayer. Don't want to be overly formulaic, but for those of you that are, that are struggling and are looking for this, this is a good tip, is let the, let the Scriptures guide you. And then last is, I just mentioned, is meditate on the Scriptures and then pray. David said this in Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Meditation does not mean mindless, empty thoughts. It means chewing on and meditating on and running through your mind the truth of Scripture. David says, let the words of my mouth, prayer, and the meditation of my heart, truth, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, what an amazing, amazing, glorious truth that you want a relationship with us. That from the beginning of time, that you knew that because of our sin, that we would separate ourselves from you. That you would have to banish us from your presence, from your relationship, because you are a holy God who cannot tolerate the presence of sin. 
but I thank you that from the very beginning that you put forth a plan to bring uh, your children back into a right relationship with you, to reconcile us. And God, I pray uh, that this morning, God, that we would be encouraged to, um, to desire and long for a more intimate relationship with the King of Kings, you, Father, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And I thank you that, that, we, that we have that, that even, even if we don't find that secret place, um, even if we go uh, minutes or hours or days or weeks without um, prayer that's described here in these verses, that you promise to never leave us nor forsake us, that we are still your sons and daughters. But God, I pray that we would long for more, that we would, along, we would long for that abundant life that you promised. And that abundant life, as we talked about last week, is not things or more stuff, but it's more of you. It's a deeper, more intimate relationship with you, and I thank you, God, that you um, have created us for that relationship. So, God, we praise you that you are um, our good and loving Father, and that you're so patient with us. And we love you, and we thank you that you loved us first. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.